In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the fall of 2019, the Reverend Michael Volman, who ministers to Trinity Episcopal Church in Russellville, Kentucky, invited a small group of clergy from the western half of our diocese to tour the Sikh Museum. The Sikh Museum is, works to uncover stories of enslavement, freedom, equality, and justice for the black folk in West Kentucky and in Logan County. Volunteer historian Mr. Michael Morrow told us stories about how the museum came to be, what stories they wanted to tell, and gave us a tour of the museum that spans across seven historic buildings in what is used to be known as the Bottom in Russellville, as well as the Bibb House. I highly recommend this tour because more than four years later, I'm still thinking about all that I learned from Mr. Morrow. One part of the tour that struck me the most was the lynching memorial. As we stepped into a small house, nearly all of it was occupied by a tree with four nooses hanging from it. It's the jarring beginning of the story of four men who were lynched on the morning of August 1st, 1908, 100 years exactly to when the Sikh Museum opened. When Mr. Morrow first learned about these lynchings from his grandmother, who knew all four of these men, he promised her that he would tell the truth of these stories, that he would tell of the brutality that ravaged their community. Ever since I read Dr. James Cone's book, the cross and the lynching tree way back in seminary. I cannot hear or think about lynching without connecting it to the cross. Both are made from wood. Both were instruments of the state to torture and kill those who were deemed unworthy of life. Both were used largely on ethnic and racial minorities. When I walked into that section of the museum with the lynching tree, I thought about how Christians around the world have also centered something that used to be a form of torture as well. Just like the lynching tree in that museum, we center the cross in our worship spaces. And now we don't carry the cross or bow to the one behind the altar to honor the violent killing of our savior, but rather as an opportunity to remember that not even such a horrific, violent death could stop the message of Christ. Just as that lynching tree in the Sikh Museum serves to remind of a painful past and the hope of the future, so do we center the cross as a sign of God's hope. And it helps us recenter ourselves upon all the reasons that Christ was crucified. 
For the Apostle Paul, there is truly no greater or more important aspect of Christianity than the crucified Christ. Our epistle message today from Philippians features what theologians over the centuries have come to call the Christ hymn. It's one of the most beautiful and succinct explanations of the Messiah that we have in the whole of the New Testament. Its words are woven throughout our prayer book and our services, so even if you may not have recognized it as a whole, I'm sure some of the words rang familiar for you. It's a text that we hear every Palm Sunday as we turn our attention toward the long walk to the cross of Holy Week. And although Paul wrote many letters to many specific churches, I think the piece of advice that is most applicable across the, all those letters to all those churches is what we hear today. Now, I'll say this near every time I preach, just in case this is the first time you've heard me preach on Paul, but I have a hard-won love for Paul. I've had Paul's words cherry-picked and quoted at me as a way of trying to silence me. But the truth is that even with all the bad experiences I've had with the misuse of his words, I dearly love Paul's love of the cross. In our epistle lesson, we hear not only the Christ hymn, but also Paul's pleading with the church at Philippi to lean into a life shaped solely by the cross. Even in heavy and hard circumstances, it is the path to know what to do. He urges the people to be humble and to focus not only on their needs, but that of others. In other words, he's asking them to live a cruciform life. To live a cruciform life is to simply be formed by the cross, to be shaped by the cross. We Episcopalians have plenty of reminders of the shape of the cross in our worshiping life. It would be almost impossible to count the number of crosses in this room alone. It's on the prayer book in front of you. It's behind our altar. Some of us even make the sign of the cross across our bodies to remind us that the central thing about our faith, the central thing about Christianity, happened on the cross. What Paul is asking the church at Philippi to do, and I think what God is calling us to today, is not just to live an individually cross-shaped life, but to live a communal, cruciform life. Now, I'm not sure exactly what was going in and around the church at Philippi when Paul wrote this letter to them, but I know that he wrote to them from prison. And I know that things were hard for them. And I'm pretty sure that the reason we're still reading this letter thousands of years later is because it holds some fundamental truths. We don't have to let our imaginations run wild to wonder what it feels like to live in a time and place where the pressures of the world around us feel heavy. 
We don't have to bridge a gap of experience to wonder what it's like for our focus to shift away from humility and self-sacrificial love of the cross to the problems and weight of this world. Or at least I don't have to stretch far to reach that. In many ways, being a Christian in our world isn't particularly countercultural in the way that it was for those in the church at Philippi. For them, it was risky and complicated. For us to call ourselves Christians carries none of that weight in Bowling Green, Kentucky. But I dare say that living a cruciform life does. It costs us something to value others, to choose others over things that we prefer or want. The question that I hear in our passage today is, how will we build this future together? Because all of the pronouns in Paul's letter here are plural. Every time you hear, you should be of a certain mind, you are responsible. It is not you, Becca. It is you, Christ Church. We each have to cultivate our own faith, but it's vital to remember that Christianity is not a religion of one. It's a community-based religion. And because Paul is so deeply convicted, not just by the resurrection of Christ, but by the crucifixion as well, he urges us to build this future not just around what's convenient or what we most like, but around the shape of the cross. And equally important for Paul is that we do it together. And I'm not writing letters to churches far flung all throughout Kentucky or the United States like Paul, but it's important for me to name that there's no way as your priest to stand in this pulpit and tell you exactly what this future will look like. I cannot give you a checklist of rights or wrongs, no matter how much I would like one for myself. Because this cruciform life to which we are called is only one that we can envision together. And so this week, the thing that I am holding deeply in prayer, and I invite you to as well, is prayers for this church. prayers for this church about how we will live into a cruciform life together. Prayers for this church that we may have eyes to see and ears to hear collectively. That we may act boldly. And that we may trust that it is God at work within us, enabling us to both work and will for God's pleasure. Amen.